Good morning. We're glad you're here for our chapel. We have some sunshine this morning. No, we're all thankful for that. As we uh, begin this morning, just like for us to share our theme together, if we could just say that out loud together first. Here am I, Lord, send me. And can we bow and pray that? Here am I, Lord, send me. Dr. Graves has a presentation to make at this time. Well, we still have folks coming in, but uh, we wanted to uh, do this right up front and then get into our time of worship uh, this morning. And uh, Dr. Like, would you join me up here? I, I know you really enjoy this, but uh, uh, stand up here with me. You got it. Okay. Uh, this day we recognize Dr. Alan Like for his leadership as college chaplain. His 11 years as chaplain equals the tenure of our very first chaplain, Dr. G.B. Williamson. Together, they hold the record for the time of service as chaplain of Nazarene Bible College. Albert Schweitzer wrote, impart as much as you can of your spiritual being to those who are on the road with you and accept as something precious what comes back to you from them. Chaplain Like has faithfully given of himself to us. He has modeled Christ's likeness and challenged us to become more like Christ. He has led us in the way of holiness and called us to spiritual transformation. He has guided us in worship and taught us to give ourselves fully to God. Dr. Like has shown us that the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Dr. Like, for your 11 years of faithful service as chaplain of Nazarene Bible College, we honor you. In all of your ways, you have acknowledged God, and because of your leadership, NBC is a better place. Accept our deep gratitude as something precious coming back to you. I read this quote uh, from Ralph Sockman. It just seemed to capture the essence of Alan Like. He wrote, nothing is so strong as gentleness and nothing is so gentle as real strength. So today we honor you, Dr. Like, for your years of service to Nazarene Bible College as chaplain. Thank you. Well, it is kind of nice to recognize somebody who is not leaving us. Just, just transitioning into a new assignment. And uh, this is a new, a new week for us at, at NBC. It's not only the beginning of, of the spring uh, trimester, 
Uh, but last night, uh, Reverend Cindy Lamb, our new chaplain, spoke in chapel for the first time and did a wonderful job. I wish you could have heard her last night. It was just a wonderful message and captured our hearts and, and uh, challenged us. And so we're very thankful for Cindy's leadership. And uh, we have a new worship leader for us today. It's really not new to any of us, but Dr. Terry Lambright. Would you welcome him and our worship team as we worship together this morning? Would you join me in prayer? Father, how we, uh, we thank you for the richness, the richness of life in you, for the way that you meet us here in this place. Again and again, we have asked and you have come. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We ask your blessing on our time together. We are so thankful, Lord, for your servant, Dr. Lyke, for the way he has led us in our, our chapel services, and for the new horizons uh, that he is traveling in, in our online. Thank you, Lord, for Ellen Lyke, for his leadership, for his humble spirit, and we know, Lord, that he is your man for NBC at this time. Lord, we ask your presence, your blessing on all that follows. We pray your blessing on Dr. Lyke as he speaks to us. Amen. Morning. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> new Horizons, Jim prayed about. I understand our New Horizon is not working at the moment. Uh, so, um, um, so Fred and the crew are trying to make things happen. So we, do, we need to remember them in prayer. We're, just, we're dependent on them. Um, this is the third in the series from Isaiah 6. So if you grab the Bible that's in front of you, I want to continue um, our consideration of this text. It's, it was my hope at the beginning of the year that we would be able to use this passage as a reminder and a renewal and a challenge for us. Uh, so our theme in the fall was, Here am I, Lord, purify me. Second one was, Here am I, Lord, restore me. Now the first one I think we're pretty familiar with if we've been around the church any length of time. The second one though, I want to remind us that the theme for that, the restore me, was that he was going to make us, he is making us, say it that way, he is making us into who we were meant to be. And in the passage in Isaiah, it reflects that, that restoration of Isaiah and offers us that same promise. So our theme for this term um, our theme, right, for this term, is here am I, send me. And my notion is, my sense is, is that this is probably where we, where we operate when we think about this passage. This is the, this is the place that we talk most of, most of the time. So I, um, so I know I'm going into real familiar territory, and that's a challenge. 
but I think there's some things there that uh, there are some things in the passage that will help us understand what it means to be to serve a God who sends. Okay, so Isaiah 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am, un I am ruined, I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The word of the Lord. I just want us to take that in for a moment. It's one of the most spectacular passages in all of Scripture. The sights and sounds of the glory of God in his temple are breathtaking, or at least they should be. It's almost enough that we've heard it and read it this morning. We could go home, but we're not going to. The text is also, I think, one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. It is a passage that is used by God to call men and women into service. It is a passage used by God to keep us in his service. Uh, he has spoken to thousands over the, over the ages through this passage, and he has said to them, to us, serve me. Anybody in the room? Does that apply? Yeah, likewise. It's also a powerful passage because God has spoken through these words to help us keep serving him. Amen? Amen. In the face of challenging times and insurmountable obstacles and human frailties and just plain life. Just plain life. If we, be, if we take in all that this passage says, it helps us keep saying yes to God. Amen? Amen. Moves us along. Amen? Uh, this is a participatory sermon this morning. <laughs> it's really easy. I say amen, and you catch the inflection, and you say? Amen. Okay, thank you. One writer put it this way, the preacher of the gospel who faces the apparent failure of his or her ministry and who is therefore tempted to despair, listen, may recognize from the example of Isaiah that he is required to be holy on the side of God in his heart and to let himself be used as an instrument by God whatever way God pleases. Now let me, let me take care of the gender issue. This is not just a male thing. She is required to be wholly on the side of God in her heart 
and to let herself be used by God as an instrument in whatever way God chooses. Uh, however, as I mentioned in the other two messages, the leading character in this drama is not Isaiah. It's not us. It's God. The passage helps us see him in ways that ought to prompt our responses to him. Passage is used by God to remind us of his holiness, of his otherness. It gives us just a glimpse of his majesty and his authority. It reveals just a portion of his power and his glory. And it's only a partial revelation because we can't handle hearing and seeing all that he is. It is presumptuous of us to think so. That we get it. That we could contain it. It's only a partial revelation because it would consume us in an instant if he revealed himself to us. Uh, one of the interesting things about the text is that, is that God doesn't really say anything until after Isaiah is prepared to be in God's presence. He lets the angels do the talking. He lets the seraphim do the singing. He lets the heavenly host do the cleansing. And then, finally, finally, when everything is ready, when Isaiah is ready, and when God is ready, then he speaks and he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord, verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said two words. Here am I, that's one word. Send me, the second. Here am I, send me. But, but who is this God who sends a man to do his bidding? Who is this God that chooses a woman to serve him? Who is this God that even bothers with humanity? Some thoughts. First, first, this God is not a tyrant God. He is not a God who wields an iron club over the heads and the hearts of those who fear him. He's not a cruel dictator like Gaddafi and all those others who are getting pushback from the people that they've oppressed for so long. He's not a dictator God. He's not a tyrant God. Nor is he a taskmaster God whose expectations are high and whose grace is low. He does not delight in getting people to do just what he wants them to do because he can. But we think that way sometimes about God, don't we? Don't we? One of my favorite radio programs is Prairie Home Companion. Shows how old I am, but, I, but I'm a Prairie Home Companion fan since, since living in Green Bay 20-some years ago. In Garrison Keillor's fictional town of Lake Wobegon, you know there are a number of churches. There's a Plymouth Brethren Church, and then there's a Lutheran Church, and there's another church of another denomination, and the name of that church is Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility. <laughs> Isn't that how we think of God sometimes? Perpetual responsibility? Just one more obligation? 
just some other thing I got to get done? A few years ago, I saw, I saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> it, it, it's the same kind of notion. It's the same kind of thing that he is just this tyrant that if we're not just doing it all the way down the line, he'll just take us out. Maybe, or maybe something like this. God said it, I believe it, that settles it, get her done. To view God as a tyrant or a taskmaster is to put him in the same league with all of the other gods that humanity has ever created. And it's a misunderstanding. To view him as a tyrant or a taskmaster is to create a God in our own image. The text tells us that he's more than that. Amen? Amen. He is more than that. In his book, The Prophets, uh, Abraham Heschel reminds us. In fact, the reason I told you about the title and the book is that if you don't have it on your shelf, you should. The Prophets by Abraham Heschel. Any thought that God is an objective or a platonic self-subsistence of ideas, be it the idea of beauty or justice, is alien to the message of the prophets. God, through the word of the prophets, is revealed to be all personal, all subject. His ethos and his pathos, pathos. I was going to ask you, Gary, how do I say that word? Ethos and pathos? Oh, okay, thank you. They are the same. There is no difference with, between the way he behaves and the way of his heart. They're one. And Heschel goes on to say, it is a thought staggering and hardly compatible with any rational approach to the understanding of God that the creator of heaven and earth should care about how some obscure man behaves toward widows and poor orphans. It's not rational. It doesn't follow that the God of the universe should say to a woman, I am concerned about this person. Serve me there. But he does care. Amen? Anybody know? Give witness to that? He does care. The, the amazing, unexplainable, irrational truth is that the creator of the universe cares about you and me and the rest of humanity and has done so from the beginning. One of my favorite bands these days is David Crowder. I especially like his beard, if you know what his, and his hair, if you know what he looks like. Uh, the words to one of, one of their songs helps me express what I'm trying to say about the caring of God. Um, the words go, he is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us all. 
We are his portion, and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're sinking. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Oh, he loves us Oh. He loves us all. He loves us. The Lord of this passage, the Lord of the vision, the Lord of the universe is not dispassionate. He loves us all. Amen? Amen. 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 One more time from Heschel. See, what the prophets proclaim is God's intimate relatedness to humanity. His intimate relatedness to humanity. It is this fact that puts all of life in a divine perspective in which the rights of humans become, as it were, divine prerogatives. Men and women stand under God's concern. Men and women stand under God's concern. Passage also helps us understand that God does more than just dispatch messengers and prophets to do his bidding. Uh, there's a lot of conversation in the church today about the Latin phrase, missio dei, the mission of God. Uh, but a, a blogger by the name of Henk Miedema points this out. He said that the idea of the mission of God should be read in a double way. God is the author of mission, but he is also the object of mission. God sends himself. Let me say it again. God is the author of mission, but God is also the object of mission. God sends himself. He is both sender and sent one. Uh, in in, my, in the last class that I taught, uh, Christian Preaching two last term, uh, Jeremy Allen's one of my students, and, and something that he said in one of his sermons helped, helped kind of launch this, this uh, consideration of who God is. In his passage, the, the text for his sermon was John 3.16. Always, like I said at the beginning, always a dangerous thing to preach from a text that everybody knows. But in the middle of his, in the middle of his message, he, he pointed out that in most cases, when it refers to God's mission in the world, the word sent is used. So in John 3:17 it says, "But God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, but that through him the world might be saved." Right? Familiar? But in John 3.16, it says, he gave. In send, he gave. A gift, himself. God is the author of mission. But he is also the object of mission. God sends himself. 
He is both the sender and the sent one. Miedema goes on to say that believers are a part of this mission. We bear the same burden that God laid upon himself. Hear that again? Believers are a part of this mission, bearing the same burden that God laid upon himself. This is such an important notion as it helps not make ourselves the source or the target of mission. It's not about us, it's God's idea. So this God is not a tyrant or a taskmaster God. He is God who cares irrationally for us. And he sends himself first in order for us to partner with him. The final passage of the text usually doesn't get read. Other than sometimes, I think when I preached on the passage before, I read the whole thing, but we stopped at verse, <laughs> we stopped at verse 7, verse 8. So I need you to grab your Bible and I need you to hear the rest of the story. So God says, who will go, Isaiah says, here, me. And so God says to him, so go and tell this people, be ever, understand, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Well, how would you like that for a job description? It sounds, it sounds like an opportunity to me. And, and, and then Isaiah rightly asks, okay, so how long? For how long, O oh Lord? And God answers, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone away, far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, as the holy seed will be the stump, excuse me, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This, too, is the word of the Lord. And, thanks be to God, it's a little harder for us to say it now, isn't it? But the difficulty in our response reveals a presumption that we know better. Our resistance to say this too is the word of the Lord is because we're not sure that we like what we've just heard or how it's going to play or that we have to say to God yes when we say how long he says until and we still say yes here am I send me one more thing that I think the passage tells us and it's this, God knows what he's doing when he calls us. He 
God knows what he's doing when he asks us to do what seems impossible. He knows what he's doing when he asks us to do the irrational. If he's the one who's asking. That's a whole other conversation. Sometimes we blame God for lots of things that he's not responsible for. He just has to pick up the pieces. God knows what he's doing when the mission that he gives to us seems futile. Do you, do you see the clue? Do you see why we can depend on God knowing what's going on even though it's an uphill mission? So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. He knows exactly what has to happen in order for his will to be accomplished. Um, one of my... I'm always impressed by heroes, the people who do the things that, that are just on the edge of sanity. William Carey spent eight years in India before he had his first convert. Eight years. E. Stanley Jones suffered a nervous breakdown. His, at the end of his first time, his tour in India, came home to heal, went back and was in the process of suffering another one until he realized that the Lord wanted him to do things the Lord's way and not his way. Which was an impossible thing and the English and, and the missionary sending board of the Methodist church kept pushing back and saying to Jones, you know, do you really know what you're doing? We haven't done it this way before. There's, there is a prescribed way for, for, mission, for mission to take place. And essentially, what Jones was suggesting is that maybe we are going to um, apply this another way, be ever hearing but never understanding. The result was, though, that as he followed God's prompting, thousands of people came to Christ. And he had face-to-face, -face, healthy, honest, wholesome conversations with Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus. They could meet in a room and talk and then leave friends because God said to Jones, this is how I want you to approach this ministry. And one, one thing, and then I'll quit reminiscing. Um, one thing that happened to him early on after when he, there became there became some results of effectiveness in his ministry. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the method, the denomination wanted to impose certain strictures and certain practices. Jones says, you know, I, I, think, I think the Indian Christians led by the Spirit can figure this out. And he just kept getting pushback from, from from the folks, what about heresy, what about da 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 and then finally he said, you know, I, I think Jesus can take care of himself. God knows what he's doing when he calls us. You need to know that about where you're working today. God knows what he's doing when he calls you. And if we'll say yes and continue to say yes, he will accomplish all that he wants for the world.
and he will wait to see if we will serve the God who sends. Amen? Amen. Any luck, Vic? Okay, let's pray. We're grateful, Father, for all of the ways that you speak to us, reveal yourself to us. We are very grateful for your patience toward us and our inability to conceive, to understand all that you have for us. We confess that, that from time to time we, cre we try to create you in our image. fail to see you as holy, fail, you, fail to see you as all-knowing, fail to see you as one who loves us, oh how you love us. And so we pray that you would apply your grace to the points of our blindness. That you would apply your, uh, that you would accept our apologies for our insisting it be our way. And then we pray that you would empower us and honor us with the ability to serve you, to serve alongside you as you serve. And we pray it in the name of the one who set the pace and then the power of his spirit who makes that possible. Pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen.